va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Dos opciones extraordinarias. Alexis Ozil, Ozil Alexis. Alexis. Marcó Alexis Sánchez el 0-1. Minuto 42. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with uh, James from Gunnar Blog, or should I say, James from Mallorca. Ah, hola. Yes, indeed. Here I am. I mean, I, I probably should be speaking in the, of course, Mallorquin dialect, but obviously I don't know a single word of that, so I, I won't. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm sat, uh, I'm sat here in Puerto Poyenza with a cafe con leche um, and... Having a lovely time, to be honest with you. I've, I've escaped England briefly for a bit of a holiday. Very so nice. If, if that's what you can hear in the background, that is the sounds of holiday, of you know, busy roads and uh, 80s pop music, the sounds of holiday. Superb. Uh, Mallorca, of course, home to Ham on Ruffles and where you keep your, your summer residence as well, I believe. Exactly, absolutely that. <laughs> I mean, I posted a picture on Twitter yesterday um, of me with some hammer ruffles, yes, you know. I saw that. that I finally found them. And I was astonished. Some of the replies really hadn't grasped the, the concept. Some people saying they thought we were talking about Hammond ruffles, as mm. in Richard Hammond. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you, if you, if you don't know what, who or what Richard Hammond is... Don't bother investigating. And then other people saying ham on ruffles. Yes. You know, like we had got some sliced ham and applied it to crisps. I don't know. Yeah, that was that was one that uh, that I saw last week, actually. Ham on ruffles. Literally ham on ruffles. Whatever ruffles are. Ruffles could be a type of, I don't know, uh, ruffled potato, perhaps. Oh, that's exactly what they are. No. But anyway, you're having a fine that's time exactly by the seaside, in the sunshine, eating lots and lots of, of ham on ruffles. And uh, nice to get away from all the uh, hurly-burly that's going on in... Uh, in Arsenal and the uh, and the rest of the world that we exist in. That's it. That's it. Crystal Palace was the final straw. I was. I'm out of England. I'm Gotta out of this get country. Out. But I, I did actually uh, last night go to a, uh, a beautiful Spanish establishment called The White Rose. It's uh, <laughs> literally oh, bike going fast. Literally called The White Rose. They've got Leicester City flags up in there, in their droves. Oh my god. And uh, I watched, yeah, yeah, and I watched Middlesbrough versus Arsenal um, with some Middlesbrough fans who, I, I think I found the only fans more despondent than Arsenal fans. They, they <laughs> from the minute that uh, from the minute the game kicks off, they're like, oh, we will lose this match. Even when they went level, they were like, I mean, this will make it more disappointing when we ultimately lose. So, you know, that put a positive spin on things, really. It, it, maybe it could be worse. Maybe we could be Middlesbrough fans. Well, that is true. And they were right when it came right down to it. They did lose and Arsenal won. And, you know, it was a nice, I guess, unusual sensation uh, to win a game. I know we won against West Ham a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, they've been in such short supply in away recent weeks. Away from home, though. Away from home, yeah. And we only let in one goal away from home. I mean, that's the that's the remarkable thing. I thought we'd have to and, win 4-3. Yeah, well, Andrew, I don't know if you noticed, but it's because of the tactical revolution that is underway at Arsenal. Uh, for the first time in 20 years, the the back three. Mm. I couldn't believe it when I saw the tweet from Arsenal.com, no, you know, yeah. laying out the team like that. Uh, extraordinary. Yeah, me too. I was like, what? Graphics guys having a laugh here with everybody. You know, that's what people were saying. There's no way that's a back three. Arsene Wenger just doesn't do a back three. It's going to be Gabriel at right back. It's going to be Koscielny and, and holding together. But lo and behold, it was a back three. We didn't, I mean, on uh, Arsblog News, on the player rating system that we have, we had no way mm. of making that formation. We didn't have any way of making a back three. That's just how... It's just not been part of what we do and who we are and the way Arsene Wenger plays as sure as night follows day. It's a back four, you know, and I guess it's a, a question of desperate times calling for, for desperate measures. Um, I mean, what did you, yeah, what I mean, did you I think of probably, it? I, well, I, first and foremost, I think I should apologise to, to many of the listeners because over the last weeks and months, we've seen plenty of questions coming in about... Uh, you know, should Arsenal switch to a back three? What about a back three? Would we try three centre-halves? And after a while, 
I began dismissing those because I was like, it's an interesting idea, but Arsene Wenger will just never, ever, ever, ever do it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we, we were proved wrong. And I think it is, I guess it is kind of a case of just, uh, I mean, a desperate roll of the dice, really. Uh, an attempt to change something because the away performances have been so, so, so poor. Yeah. Uh, particularly defensively. And I guess maybe losing Mustafi to injury, maybe the final straw for Arsene. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they said they were working on it all week. Arsene Wenger said they've been working on it all week in training. Koscielny said that. Aaron Ramsey said that as well. And I think there was something quite interesting in what he said in the in the post-match uh, comments. I'm just going to see if I can find it here. Um, he said, yeah, for the first time in 20 years, it just shows you that even at my age, you can change. Ha ha, of course. But he said, but sometimes when a team lacks confidence, just to add something new to believe helps to focus. And overall, the fact that we conceded three at West Brom, three at Crystal Palace, I felt it was needed. So it was almost like, okay, well, the team actually needs to do something different. The team itself needs for the manager to do something different to make it feel like they're trying to address the issues that we have. Now, I'm not 100% convinced that it worked particularly well from a defensive point of view. I don't think it made us any more uh, solid from set pieces, for example, because Borough had a couple of good chances and and really should have scored. Um, But, I mean, it it is only one game. so we can't make any real judgments on it just yet. But I think it was probably more of a, almost like a psychological decision than a tactical one, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I mean, to be honest, on that basis, you, you kind of feel like saying to Arsene, I mean, surely making some kind of change was evident. The need for that was evident before Palace. You know, we've been stuck in a rut for some time now. But I guess better late than never. And I think you're right. It's almost like giving them something else to concentrate on kind of liberated them in some Mm. other ways. I mean, I don't want to go overboard because I think Middlesbrough are really bad. Like, I think I understand the the plight of their fans because they are not a good team. They look like a Mm. championship team to me, um, almost front to back. And And I think any decent team probably would have probably would have given us a lot more problems last night but we did the bare minimum I guess which yeah. was which was win the game well yeah that was it we I mean we had to win the game and and we did I mean the first half again I suppose if the idea of a back three was to give us more defensive stability, it might also have been designed to make us a little more threatening because he had Olivier Giroud starting up front and Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez more or less either side of him, but they seem to have the... um, the freedom to move around uh, in front of the midfield too and behind Giroud at will even though Oza was a bit more right Alexis was was a bit more left and I thought perhaps there were signs that that we might uh, see a more direct game from an attacking point of view very early on Oxley chamberlain getting down the right hand side putting in a couple of good crosses I think Giroud was more or less starved of supply all night long but there were signs that perhaps mm. that might work um to, to to spark us into life from an attacking point of view, but it didn't really. There wasn't a lot to talk about in that first half apart from the free kick from Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, I think when you, when you break the system down and you see kind of where it might suit Arsenal, I do think that freedom that would be afforded to Ozil and Alexis is one of the most exciting aspects, really. Mm. Uh, you know, Chelsea have kind of liberated Hazard by doing that. He plays sort of not wide, but not truly centrally. Uh, and he gets a lot of the ball there and is dangerous on the break. And, and getting be able to get Alexis in that position is beneficial. But, I, I mean, look, we looked like what we are, which is a team with very, very, very low confidence who kind of ground out a win, really. I mean, Alexis's goal, which was, you know, such an important one, seemingly, just mm. for half-time, came from a, a set piece but from open play we, we, we weren't exactly creating plenty uh, you know lots of chances were we no we weren't and when you consider they had Brad Guzan in goal who you know is not someone you'd feel terribly confident of if you were facing a lot of shots it does speak to the way that this team is struggling from an attacking point of view it's struggling to create chances <laughs> and opportunities um, to, to really trouble the opposition but you know a great free kick I think from Alexis on, on Sky I don't know if you 
caught much of the analysis on on Sky. Did they show it on? Was it on Spanish TV or was did, was it like a, a a pub with dodgy Sky box? It was. Listen, the White Rose has got Sky Sports, BT Sport, um, full English breakfast, special cheeseburger. I mean, if you basically want to feel like you're in England. That I don't know why you would if you're here on holiday, but if you do, if you're an expat and you miss it, this is the place to be. Right. What is special about the cheeseburger? What makes it special? Uh, It's unclear. It's unclear. They just call it the special cheeseburger. I think maybe it's imported directly. It's imported cooked. They cook it in England (laughs) and fly it over. Made from real, real British cows. That's what's yeah, special. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what were we talking about? Um, oh, Sky Sports, tell me about the free yeah, kick. Well, analysis. just just the analysis that, that uh, Gary Neville and, and Jamie Redknapp were, were making after the game, they were pinning a lot of blame on the fact that Guzan had seven men in the wall, which is extraordinary in itself. They were showing a clip of him holding up his gloves, you know, looking for five, looking for five, then screaming at the wall. And, it, you know, there was seven of them in in the wall in the end. But I don't think he was getting anywhere near that, whether he had five in the wall, three in the wall, or nine in the wall. I don't think he was getting anywhere near that. It was a, it was a lovely free kick from Alexis Sanchez, one of those that, because of the trajectory it takes over the wall, um, it's pretty much always going to be a goal, I think. Yeah, it was a great strike and another one of those moments where you sort of go, thank God for Alexis, you know, uh, he, he can be infuriating. I mean, there were times, there was one point yesterday where he was absolutely maddening. Did you see that point where he had the ball on the left-hand side and he was making his customary hand gesture of calm down, <laughs> calm down, you know, nobody, and then he just promptly gave the ball straight oh, away. That was so funny. That really was so funny. I, I was watching because, you know, we were two on up, I think, at the time, were we? And, and he was just telling yeah, him, look, maybe. look, look, calm down, calm down. It's going to be, look, we just slow it down, keep the ball here, everything will be okay. And then he just kicked it straight to a Middlesbrough player and you're going, oh, for fuck's sake. And and it's true. I mean, he, he, he certainly over the last number of weeks we've got this weird yin and yang of Alexis Sanchez there's been some amazing moments but they've been coupled with so much wastefulness that he's given the ball away with such regularity in recent weeks in particular that it's it's very difficult to understand quite how to marry those two things the obvious quality that he has the ability to be a game changer the ability to score important goals I mean there was a brilliant pass to to Mesut Ozil um which nearly put him through on goal and the keeper came out actually and made a, a reasonable save or just to, to smother the ball, you know. So these moments of high quality uh, and then you have these moments of like, I don't know, it's pretty much abject that if it was any other player, you would be saying, get him off the pitch. Like if Coquelin was giving the ball away with the regularity uh, Sanchez has been, people would they'd be like running on the pitch and trying to set him on fire. Um yeah. And, and even for their even for their equaliser, it stemmed from him having the ball in midfield. Uh, he had he had passes on. He was trying to shift the ball out wide and made a a pretty poor pass. They broke up field and and scored the goal. Now there were other factors, of course. The defending from Monreal and and Koscielny wasn't great, but again, this is where being wasteful in the Premier League. Uh, it, it, it can A, punish you, and B, it also stops you from building attacking momentum. And I wonder if that has been in some way part of our problem, that because we've been giving them, not just Alexis, but because we've been giving the ball away so much, it's been very difficult for us to to, to dominate a game in terms of... Uh, piling pressure on the opposition. There's one thing about the sterile possession that we enjoy, if you like, going side to side, left to right, left to right, left to right. But but when you get into those final, um, into the final third, into those final areas, if you're constantly giving the ball away, it becomes very difficult to create chances. That's it. I think pressure, when you think about your team being under pressure, pressure doesn't come from possession. It comes from how frequently you're getting in behind, you know, how much you're threatening the fullbacks, how much you're getting into those dangerous areas. So we've had plenty of the ball without threatening. And Alexis is such a conundrum at the moment because he is our he's our most effective player and simultaneously our most wasteful. Yeah. It's, a, it's a curious one, but we definitely are better off with him on balance you know I think for I I can understand why people are questioning some of his decision making but we still we still need him don't we we still need Mm. those moments of magic that he can produce absolutely absolutely and that's uh, in some ways it sort of sums up the the state of the team right now 
Um, yeah. But look, a, a brilliant free kick. Yeah, I thought it was great. Bad defending. Yeah, and and look, frustrating to concede so soon after half time, I guess. And, and and it wasn't it wasn't good from Alexis, but it wasn't great from Monreal. And I thought particularly Koscielny might have done better too. Mm. And at one one, I don't know about you, but I. I was turning to the Middlesbrough fans who I was sat with and congratulating them on a resounding victory because <laughs> well, if, if, we, if we've seen anything with this Arsenal team in recent weeks, it's that they've tended to crumble when the going has gone against them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, even Arsene Wenger admitted after the game that, that we rode our luck a little bit. And I, we absolutely did in the immediate aftermath mm. of, the, of the goal. There was a brilliant chance for Stuart Downing I'm just going to have a look mm-hmm. here. Uh, yeah, so they scored in the 50th minute. Five minutes later, Downing uh, has a great chance at the back post and he um, he blasted it over the bar. And five minutes after that was the set piece that came in. They headed it back across goal and Ayala headed the ball straight at Petr Cech. Um, you know, in some ways, okay, the keeper's got to be there, but I think really uh, from that position they should be scoring they should have scored both of those chances and had we gone 2-1 behind you know you you can't help but worry what it would have done to that team because like you say the 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 psyche is just so brittle there's no little or no confidence there and to be ahead in an away game to let them back into it and then to go behind you would certainly have had them going oh my god not again what the fuck how do we why why you know uh, it would have given the game a very different complexion, obviously, because they would have scored. But the fact that they had those chances was really quite worrying. Of course. And also, the kind of psychological um, shift that was in, uh, instigated by changing the formation. If Arsenal had fallen behind, it would have left the players questioning that, questioning the strategy, questioning if it was the right approach. Yeah. I think it would have begun to crumble, really. Uh, but fortunately... You know, we we talked about this before. I think it was last week, wasn't it? The the stoppable force versus the the movable object. Yeah, yeah. Middlesbrough are the the bluntest of attacking instruments, really. And I think we we were fortunate in that respect. And I thought Pedacek, you know, stuff was kind of straight at him, but I was glad to have him there. I thought he made a couple of decent interventions to to help us keep them at bay too. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, he was in the right place at the right time, but in the end. We we did ride our luck a little bit there. We got away with those and found uh, a winning goal, a very nice winning goal too. Um, when the ball came to Aaron Ramsey there, I was sort of expecting him to take it down on his chest and swivel and, and have a go because that's kind of what he likes to do. You know, he, he really does like to, to have a pop at goal, but it was a clever little chest off to Mesut Ozil who scored with his right foot. Like, wow, what is the... There's a catalyst... Whatever about a back three, there's a catalyst for change. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it was a good bit of play from Ramsey. I think you've got to give him some credit for that because, you know, even when things aren't really going his way, he'll still try things. And I think that was a a very well-executed piece of skill, a good decision. Uh, Ozil tucks it away. And I guess, you know, Alexis and Ozil, they dug us out, really. Two, Two moments of quality from then proved enough but I was kind of biting my fingernails in those last few minutes I mean Borough especially once Adama Traore came on I thought oh he's a player I've seen give us problems in the past fortunately his decision making isn't great but you know we uh, they, they never quite ramped up the pressure but I still thought there's every chance of us gifting them something here and I was I was mightily relieved when the full time whistle Mm. eventually went Traore I mean it, it was in my mind that what a what a thing this would be for Arsene Wenger if a guy called Traore came on the pitch and sort of put one of the well, another final nail in, in Arsene Wenger's coffin, having inflicted Arman Traore on us in the past. It would have been somewhat fitting. Um, <laughs> but, but, but luckily for us, he, he's just somebody who can run very fast and, and doesn't quite think as fast as he runs. Uh, there was a brilliant yeah, sure. bit, brilliant bit of commentary, wasn't there, where he got the ball on the, I think it was on the borough right hand side, and and he sort of it rebounded off a couple of legs, and he broke I- into midfield then, and they were like, oh, what a marvelous bit of skill that was from Traore, he's causing havoc, and you're going, well, no, he's just kind of a lucky rebound, guys, relax. But wasn't there something quite telling yeah. about, um, in the final couple of minutes, bringing on Francis Coquelin to play, <laughs> to play left midfield? And 
the first thing that he did was like uh, understandably to an extent w- was to go towards the corner flag with the ball taking the ball down the left hand side going towards the corner flag losing it and, and they got a they got a goal kick but there was just something about the, what that said about the way this Arsenal team is feeling at the moment the way it's set up at the moment that uh, against a team like Borough who are struggling so badly that that's that's where we were going sensible first straight into the corner uh, there were still probably about five minutes to go including injury time but I know you know it is what it is I guess I yeah when when Ozil and Alexis came off it was a, a clear indication of right you know what we have we hold I mean Coquelin bless him he, he played left midfield apparently when he was on loan with Freiburg in yeah, Germany and yeah. he said it was the wor- the worst time of his career <laughs> he said every day was like a living hell or something like that and I think last night we got a little glimpse as to maybe why that was yeah. but uh, I could hear I could hear the howls of frustration from Arsenal fans across the the globe as he went on embarked on that dynamic dribble down the wing but look uh, it was it was enough I guess and it wasn't pretty it wasn't impressive I'm not even going to talk about turning corners or even knowing that there is a corner coming up but just we got the three points and I had I didn't pay that much attention to the football over the weekend but the, the other results meant that we had no alternative right it had to be three points last night yeah it had to be three points um I mean, the, the the most annoying thing about the weekend, obviously, was was Chelsea losing to Manchester United, which means that Tottenham are just four points behind first place. There are holiday. We're not talking about that. There are actually questions like, what if Tottenham do the double? I mean, what do you want us to say to that? What What do you mean? What if that happens? I mean, what? What is that? Other than, yeah, other, I don't know. Other <laughs> than being like incredibly shit, what do you want us to say about that? I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, I can't even countenance that. What's Antonio Conte playing at as well? What did you make of his comments? You know, Spurs are now the best team. Is he just attempting to shift the pressure? I mean, it's oh god, I can't even think about. Uh, it. Yeah, no, I can't either. I don't quite know what what Conte is doing either. He was talking about how it was on him as the manager, you know, that the team didn't play with the right commitment and the right effort against Manchester United, um, which is interesting, I guess, to hear a manager talk about himself being uh, the uh, the focus of the blame. Um, whether it's all part of the mind games or, or whatever, I, I, I don't quite know. But uh, look, I mean, we're we're in sixth position. We're f- six points behind Manchester. Manchester City uh, with a game in hand um, and of course we play Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final on Sunday so um, without wanting to preempt any of the questions that we have mm. um, we have had quite a number of them about this new system but it, it just strikes me that w- what are we going to do on on Sunday do we go back to a back four or do we stick with this thing having made that shift? And it's quite a shift. Let's um, let's not pretend it was just uh, something that could have been done on a whim. You know, for a manager like Arsene Wenger, for a team like Arsenal, with players who have really never played in a in a back three before, it would be really weird, wouldn't it, to to go back to a back four against Manchester City on Sunday. I, yeah, maybe, but it's very hard to say with any authority that this back three kind of works. I mean, it, it's been tested a bit, but not, but only by Middlesbrough. But how will uh, we know if I we sli- don't play it more? True. I mean, the back four doesn't really work either. Yeah, exactly. So, we know the back four uh, doesn't, so... I guess... I mean, I, I think the conservative part of me is saying, yeah, but at least the players vaguely know how to play back I mean they don't though do they so there's part of my brain going they should know how to play a back four because they've done it so many times so go back to that but Mm. I've seen the back four and it's a liability so maybe maybe you do go for the three but if it would be it will be a massive gamble won't it It, you know inevitably just because we don't really know much about it yet yeah I you know I think if you're going to go for it just fucking go for it what's what's to lose at this point you know um apart from an FA Cup semi-final and uh, Champions League spot but you know those things are those things are a challenge anyway and look we have seen the back four um struggle we've seen the back four defend poorly uh, again uh, 
I don't think the back three defended that much better. But if there was even a sense for the players themselves that there's confidence to be gained from having played this back three, having won the game, I wonder would it like fuck with their minds if you if you say they needed something new to restore confidence. You go out, you play a back three, you restore a little bit of confidence, not you know, not not a huge amount, but then to change it again for for the FA Cup semi-final just strikes me as uh, self-defeating. You might as well, if this is a decision you've made to give the team a feeling that something new is happening, you, you've got to stick with it, I think. The question is whether you, you, you keep the same personnel. I don't quite know what the extent of Mustafi's injury is, and I don't know where Per Mertesacker was. Having been on the bench for the last couple of games, there was no sign of Mertesacker last night. And f- for me, he's a guy who would fit really well into, into a back three. Like the middle guy in the, in the back three, that seems to me absolutely perfect for, for someone like Mertesacker with, uh, let's say, Koscielny and, and Mustafi either side of him, those uh, more aggressive, um, nippier, attacking uh, the ball kind of center halves with him who can read the game, almost be a sweeper. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to step up like Beckenbauer and you know rampage through the, through the midfield, but it just strikes me that that would be a nicely balanced back three um, I wonder is Mertesacker injured again because it, you know, I don't think you can then risk him in a, in an FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, I mean, no sign of Mertesacker, no sign of uh, Danny Welbeck either. There were some reports about an injury problem for him, maybe. Mm. So, I, 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 that was going to be my question to you, really. I thought the back three was kind of interesting, but I wasn't entirely convinced about some of the personnel. I mean, you know. <sighs> Uh, Mertesacker is, is one I, I wondered about Ramsey coming straight back in at the expense of uh, El Nenny you know uh, Chamberlain over Bellerin was an interesting one on yeah. the right hand side do you, do you think even if he sticks with the system do you think it'll be a similar lineup to I, I think so I mean he, he did express some concerns about Hector Bellerin and about his form mm. since his injury um, there were some comments that he made you know about how it was unfair of the fans um, to target him which I think was totally misreading the situation or if you're going to be really harsh about it, you know, it, it felt a little bit like Bellerin was being thrown under the bus. I'm not sure that Wenger, as a manager who generally goes out of his way to protect players, uh, is going to do that with, with someone like Hector Bellerin, you know, a young talent. I think it was just more a complete misreading of the situation. Um rather than anything um, against Bellerin. But it was interesting to see Oxlade-Chamberlain there. I think it's a role, actually, that Bellerin could be really, really good at because, obviously, he's he's great. He's quick going forward. Um, He is quite threatening when he's on form, but, of course, he hasn't been on form. You would have to say that if he's going to stick with it, then Oxlade-Chamberlain doesn't deserve to to lose his place after the way he played against Borough. I thought he was one one of our best players. I would have more concerns maybe about Monreal on the left-hand side doing that job, but then well, I don't know who else we really have who could do it uh, beyond him. I mean, yeah. is it him or Kieran Gibbs? That's it, isn't it? That's it. I mean, I, I do wonder if Monreal in that system would be better kind of on the left side of the three centre-backs almost. Yeah. You know, I think that's maybe more suited to him. We've seen him play centre-half before, but I think you look at Chelsea, you know, they use kind of uh, Azpilicueta as one of the centre-halves and he's been brilliant there this season. I think Monreal would give you a bit of ball-playing ability mm. and he's a, he's a very, very good defender, maybe more so than a, a natural wing-back. The, the problem you have is who do you put there? Do you trust Gibbs there? Do you, I don't know, try and push Bellerin uh, to right wing back and shift Oxlade-Chamberlain over? I don't know. But I, I think uh, that's where we're going to be tested against City, surely, is, yeah. the, is the flanks. You think about the pace of Sane and Sterling. They're going to be looking to pull, pull that three-man defence out of their comfort zone. And it... it, it it will be a, a really, a really big ask because having lost at Palace, we haven't really been able to, you know, I don't think this one win gives us any kind of momentum, particularly going into that semi-final. No, I don't think so. But at least it prevents us going into that semi-final on the back of another disappointing uh, result slash performance. So, you know, it's baby steps kind of, of thing. And I have to say that even if uh, I remain a little bit unconvinced or, or as yet to be convinced by this 
new system by going three at the back and our ability to play the way that we would like to see us play with that system, it has at least... Um, I feel a little bit more interested in in what we're going to do. You know, it, it's... It is yeah. a radical change. It is something different. It is something fresh, and it it is just at least a move away from more of the same. It's not like, okay, well, what if we play Welbeck instead of Giroud up front? What if we play Alexis instead of Welbeck up front? You know, it will be on the left. You know, who do we play in midfield? Can we get a? Can we find a partnership that works? You know, there's something a little bit different about it. It changes the dynamic. And I do think perhaps that's what Arsene Wenger was going for, for the team as well, to try and almost, not like it's a, a clean slate or you're turning over a new leaf, but it does at least feel like there's something... They're trying something. Whether it works or not remains to be seen, but I'm glad to see that there's something different being tried. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, it's it's it, it, it at least makes it intriguing, as you say. Like, I don't know how we're going to fare against City at the weekend. Mm. Uh, I'm not particularly confident, but at least the, the possibility for change exists, the possibility for an improvement in this kind of game. And I think the players needed it. I think the players needed it. They needed mm. something to shift for them to think that the momentum might swing in their favour. So yeah. I think it was the right move. And I think you're probably right on balance. We, we need to stick with it because otherwise, what does that show? You know, what does that say if we then revert to type? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're going to see more of it between now and the end of the season. OK, well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see how it all pans out. Breaking news, James. Harry Redknapp is now the new manager of Birmingham City. I know. Well, that's one name crossed off the list for the Arsenal job next season. <laughs> Damn it. Why can we never get the yeah. top targets? So annoying. <laughs> I know. Klopp's gone, Guardiola's gone, Redknapp's gone. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we'll give Arsenal a five-year deal at this yeah. rate. Yeah. And uh, we have to, just before we uh, finish this half, we've got to say, uh, ha, ha, ha. Um, and I mean that in a very good way. I don't know if you've seen this yet on Twitter. Uh, Chris Hamilton, who's at Zellax84. That's at X-E-L-A-Z, uh, or Zelaz84, uh, X-E-L-A-Z84, who has uh, uh, provided a very excellent Photoshop. I think you should have a look at it there. Uh, your sandwich okay, between uh, Rob Holding and Granite Xhaka. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow, I can't wait to see this thing. Hang on. Uh, uh, You're copied in. Just check your mentions. It's in there. Have a look at oh, this. Okay. Oh, wow, yes. That is a, an extraordinary piece of artwork. Um, crikey. Well, what do we say? Thank you? Thank you. That looks great. It looks like Rob Holding. looks like Rob Holding is um, holding on to your ham on ruffles. And Granite Jacques's hand is... Um, yeah. Creeping. It yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's trying to get him to drop the ham on ruffles. <laughs> there, there are worse sandwiches to be in. There are worse sandwiches Absolutely. to be in between Granish Acker and Rob Holding. Um, well, look, shall we return with the part two? We shall. We'll take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page. I remembered this week, so welcome back to all you oh. Facebook chums over there. It's facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And from there, James, we have the very first question. It comes from Matt Emeny, and he says, do you think that the Kolasinac rumors slash deal and the change to a back three are coincidence or possibly a sign of things to come from Wenger. The player seems quite physical and defensively minded, but also seems able to get up and down the wing. Traits similar to that of Alonso at Chelsea, who's been something of a poster boy for that role this season. So there are the uh, rumours that we're going to sign the, the guy, the Bosnian defender uh, from Schalke. I don't know how you pronounce his first name. Said? Siad? Shod, Sheed, Shod. We'll just call him Sid. Sid, yeah, Sid Kalasinac. So, what do you think? Yeah, Sid Kalasinac. I like uh, it. I think that we. I, I mean, look. Uh, it, it, it seems like he's going to choose between us and AC Milan, according to the players. Dad. Yes, Is that right. That seems to be um, the case. 
two teams that used to be good. I think. Well, I've been reading all the all the pieces. There was one on Ask Blog News, wasn't there, yeah. about people who've seen more of Kolasinic than than me. And he seems that he has been playing left wing back for the majority of this season in kind of a back three system. Yeah. So m- maybe there's something to that. I, initially, I just assumed, well, look, if Arsene Wenger stays in charge, he's going to take this guy who's played in that role and convert him to a fullback. He did that with Lauren famously was used to playing in more that kind of system but uh, in Spain before he, he came across and then slips into a back four I thought that was the plan but maybe not maybe it would be lovely to think I mean look we don't know what's going to the manager but it lovely to think that whoever was in charge of Arsenal next season maybe there would be some flexibility in our approach maybe some games we might be more suited to a back three than a back four and we might have the the players and the know-how to be able to switch it up accordingly Mm. is that possible i don't know i mean do you think it really is possible to be that versatile in terms of the system that you play like you the reason you play a back four is because it gives you a platform you're you know you work your 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 angles and you work your the way you build play from having a back four whereas if you're playing with a back three it's obviously a very different uh, it's a very different thing and you don't tend to see teams change too often do you between a back three and a back four it's either one one or the other I guess. I mean, the teams that do change are the ones managed by people like Pep Guardiola and they're not always the most defensively secure. Defending isn't necessarily kind of the first thought in that strategic lineup. Mm. I, I, I can't see Arsene Wenger switching to a back three in the longer term. I think, he, you know, I think this is an emergency measure and I think if he stays at the club, I would expect it to go back to a back four next what, season but what, what would what, you think I, well it depends on how it goes I mean what if it goes really well what if we you know get to the FA Cup final win the FA Cup final what if we somehow put together a string of, of good performances and results and, and get ourselves into the to the top four is there not a case then to be made okay well this is a this is a system then that suits the players that we have and perhaps will suit a player that we're bringing in like uh, like Sid you know Sid might come in and and really ramp it up down the left hand side give the team an extra dynamic down there in the same way that someone like Oxley Chamberlain or, or Bellerin could do on on the right hand side um so you yeah. know, I I, I Maybe. do I do look. I, I, I'm very much aware that Arsene Wenger is 67 years of age, and leopards don't change their spots, and and all that kind of stuff. And he has been throughout his career pretty much wedded to a back four. And I do agree with you. I think for the most part, this is an emergency measure. But um, if it works, if it makes us better, if it makes us more solid, you, you know, we do have players who could easily fit into that back three. If you look at the centre-half lineup, um, you know, we've got Rob Holding and we'll have some questions about him in a couple of minutes. Koscielny is there. Mustafi is there, a 35 million euro centre-half. As I said, Per Mertesacker is not getting any younger, but certainly a guy who could play within a back three. Uh, Callum Chambers, despite the fact Middlesbrough are going to get relegated, has been... um, part of a very defensively solid Borough side. Their, their big issue is, of course, that they can't score goals, but defensively Borough have been good and reports uh, from the Riverside Stadium have been that Callum Chambers has had a good season with them. So, you know, in terms of the ability to stock a back three and maintain a back three throughout a season, like we couldn't have done it a couple of years ago. Remember when we had uh, Vermaelen, Mertesacker and Koscielny? We only had three centre-halves. You remember, we, we just yeah. talked about Monreal being um, pressed into action at centre-half. It wasn't because we thought Monreal would be a good centre-half. It was literally because we did not have any other defenders uh, to play in that position. Now, we have uh, Gabriel as well is, is there. Um, you know, we have the personnel in terms of numbers to be able to stock a, a, a back three throughout a season. So... I guess it will all depend on what happens over the next uh, the next six weeks or so in the games that we've got coming up and how the team uh, adapts to this uh, to that da- adapts to this new uh, new system. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you're right, and obviously, I think what's really exciting about back, uh, back three potentially is is Hector Bellerin. You know, a fit Hector Bellerin would be an outstanding wing back. I, you know, I think he'd be superior to anything that that Chelsea can boast. Um, and that would be a really exciting prospect. I think the problem with this system is that I don't think it 
It's not the problem with the system, but the thing about it is it doesn't fix the central midfield problem fully for mm. me. You know, it's like you can put a back three in and, and that'll give you a bit more security in the centre. But I still think that the you're reliant then on two central midfielders. Chelsea's success has been so much down to having Angola Kante and Matic, who've been really, really solid in there. And I don't necessarily think we yet have a combination that can, uh, that can quite match that, right? OK, but isn't that part of the reason why we spoke on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and you said, you know, from a position of of reasonable knowledge that Arsenal were looking at central midfield uh, Mm -hmm. as an area that needed to be upgraded because that has been, I think nobody would deny, it has been one of the key issues this season. The fact that we haven't had a functioning central midfield throughout most of this season, certainly since Santi Cazorla got injured. Uh, and, and Santi Cazorla, as brilliant as he is, and I, I love him, he's an amazing footballer, he feels a little bit like... Uh, as sort of a glue that holds things together. Um, like if you were to ask me to repair something or put something back together, I would be able to like do it with a bit of glue and some gaffer tape and bit of string and it would like approximate what would be a fix. And to me, Santi Cazorla is yeah. those things in terms of a central midfielder, whereas if somebody with uh, real skills could come along and repair it and you'd never know that the thing was broken, that's kind of where we need to go with our central midfield. Right, right, right. Yeah, I know what you mean. And and that, that is something the club are looking to address. I mean, they were looking to address left-back and central midfield. It sounds as if left-back may be done. That central midfield one's still a big, a big, big box to tick. There's, and, uh, you know, there's, that's, that's a job for the summer. Yeah, there's a guy they're looking at. What's his name? Um... Ah, the, in Germany, uh, Leon Goretzka, I think. Yeah, yeah. So oh, that's is that, that right? Yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, it's it's that. I keep looking at it and thinking he's uh, <laughs> he's from the Basque region. Um, maybe he is. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's where his family like... comes from. But we'll see. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So that that that's one to watch, maybe. But um, yeah, look, I, I I'm intrigued about this back three. I mean. It, it was what it was the system Arsene had when he first arrived at the club, wasn't it? He sort of inherited that uh, from Bruce Rioch and mm. sort of stuck with it for a little while, but it was kind of just merely a necessity, I think, until he could implement his uh, yeah. his grander plans, which revolved around a back four. Mm. Anyway, anyway, um, I've got a question here from Jack Bylaw uh, on Twitter, and he asks Alexis's post-game reaction. The players' PR, club PR, or just legit? Um, I I don't know. I mean, I've got one here as well from BTH, who's oh god, he's a, a ridiculous. At, it's BNJM, but H and F. Anyway, he said, "What did you make of the post-match player reactions?" Look, I think yeah. th- there's certainly an awareness that the fans are angry, and the, it can't have escaped their notice that. Um, they were the subject of of fans are uh, during the Crystal Palace game. Um, you know, despite what people think, I, I do feel like they probably they probably do care. They're not just machines who don't give a shit. Um, so I think in some ways there was an element of relief. There was an element of oh, thank fuck, we've won a game um, under big pressure. Um, but I think also there was a bit of grandstanding, a bit of showboating for the fans, you know, go over and try and mend some fences a little bit. Alexis goes over and he he uh, gives his shirt to some kid uh, after booting Oxlade-Chamberlain up the arse, which was quite hilarious. Did you see that bit? Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> he just booted him up the arse and picked him up in the air, you know, and he's not the, usually the most effusive of, of celebrators, but I think it was it was clear that he was making making an effort to show that there is some togetherness in the squad. And I I would imagine that behind closed doors this week, there was a lot of talk between the players, probably with the manager involved as well, that they had to show some unity. That when the manager before the game said that the, 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 the team has to um, get the fans back on side with what they do on the pitch, but he also called for people to show some unity and togetherness and all that kind of stuff. But I think that was probably a message that was applied first and foremost to the players, that it was a, a way for them to show, look, we know it's been shit. We're not trying to make any excuses. Oxlade-Chamberlain did a little message to the fans on Sky Sports last night. You know, it was very deliberate. There's no question in my mind it was deliberate, but I also think it was probably 
necessary and also probably the right thing to do that if there is still something to play for this season, the players have to show they're together and they're united and they're focused and they're they're all pulling in the same direction. Even if maybe behind the scenes they're not. Even if there are things going on, uh, you know, on the training ground or personality-wise, if there are issues, they have to at least show publicly that they're they're all in the same boat. And I think that uh, last night was an opportunity for them to do that and I think they did it and you can be cynical about it if you want and that's fine but I, I still feel like it was probably the right thing for them to do yeah look <clears throat> I did feel somewhat cynical about it because it just felt like such a dramatic change from what we saw against Crystal Palace and Alexis's demeanour in particular was so kind of unlike him you know he's never that effusive at full time but I think you're right that obviously it's better that than the alternative and I'm sure words were had it wouldn't surprise me if the club captain Per Mertzaka was part of that um, even though he's not been present on the field of late you know he's very attuned to the the tone of the club the mood around the club and I'm sure that the players were were told pretty firmly that you know what what happened at Palace mm. meant that there had to be some kind of change in attitude, and I think uh, I think Alexis is an interesting one simply because there's maybe that added complication of his personal agenda. You know, I feel like the kind of media. Uh, tussle between the club and the players going to become intensified. You know, we saw stories, didn't we, last week of this £300,000 a week uh, wage offer mm. Arsene then seeming to kind of pull back on that. It's kind of intriguing trying to figure out where these stories necessarily come from and what exactly the state of play is there. But um, I, I guess the basic takeaway is better to sort of act all friendly with each other than, you know, than the alternative. Yeah, exactly. I don't think anybody looked at that last night and went, oh, everything's okay again. We've won a game. All yeah. the players are super friends. You know, let's let's never talk about any of our problems again. I don't think anybody is, is naive enough uh, to, to fall for that. But um, just from the perception of what's happened over the last uh, number of months and what we still have to try and do, um, whether people think we can do it or not, um, you know, Arsene Wenger's talking about winning every Premier League game to get in the top four. That's what Aaron Ramsey said. There's an FA Cup semi-final, possibly an FA Cup final. I think they have to at least show publicly that there's something more to them than just petty squabbles, behind-the-scenes action, contract wrangles, uncertainty over the future of the manager, over the certain over the future of certain players, etc., etc. Like just. From a general point of view, they just have to show that they're going to give it what they can give it in the last seven or eight games of this season. Whether they do it or not is another thing entirely. I'm not necessarily confident, but I would rather see them behave like that than just sort of troop off and like not give a, you know, very obviously not give a fuck. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay, here's a question from uh, The Chief, who's at macho underscore grande one, who wants to know, is Rob holding the real deal, or will he become arsenalized like the rest before him? Uh, And that question is uh, offset by another one by uh, Richard Pike, who's at Spiffle Spaffle uh, on Twitter. He says, if Mustafi is fit for Man City and we stick to a back three, does he come in for holding or Gabriel? interesting question well I I would imagine that Arsene Wenger uh, would bring him in for holding just because he tends to favour seniority particularly on these big occasions but I I'm a really big admirer of Rob Holding I I think he's he's got everything you'd look for in a centre half really and he's so composed every time he steps out on the field I desperately hope he doesn't get Arsenalised but I think we've been here so many times before I can't help but fear it a little bit you know you think of Philippe Senderos Johan Juru I mean joke figures almost now but at one stage hugely promising centre-halves at Arsenal it doesn't seem to be the best thing for their development to be stationed at the Emirates Stadium but I really hope he can be the exception because so far he's been great right I know you're a big fan well look you know he's he's been, I suppose, one of the bright spots of the season, perhaps because he hasn't played very much, but when he has played, I think he's looked really calm, really assured, really solid for a young centre-half, coming into a big club, and also playing in a team that is um, dysfunctional, basically. 
So for him to emerge from that without looking like a complete shambles, I think that is um, perhaps a, a testament to the to the quality and potential that he has. Like you, I would have worries, of course, because defensively, you know, it, it's not our strong point. Um, although someone like Lauren Koscielny is is a guy who who, who booked that trend perhaps uh, a little bit. Um, it's so hard to say, isn't it? It's so difficult. We can't tell the future, but I think the the potential is there. But like you say, there have been others in the past who've had um, seemingly had that kind of potential at a young age and, and haven't quite kicked on and who have in some ways uh, ended up uh, as sort of joke figures, I guess. Um, so I hope that doesn't happen. We'll have to wait and see. If it was a case that... Um, we, we stayed with the back three and Mustafi is back. I would be inclined to keep holding in the side. Like, again, why the fuck not at this point? You know, we've seen what Gabriel can do. I think he's an all right squad player. But uh, maybe not as bad as some people would say. But uh, I just like what I see from holding. And I don't see... I don't see the... If we're going to make a change like go to a back three, I don't see why we wouldn't just stick with a with a young guy who's played well every time he's played for us this season. Why not? Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. I also think that holding uh, Mustafi and Koscielny is a bit more balanced as a back three. I feel like mm. Gabriel, Mustafi and Koscielny are more... Um, are more of a type, yeah. whereas uh, holding's a little bit something different, provides a bit of... I don't know, he provides that height, that aerial ability. I think he's a different type of centre-half, and I think that's probably what you're looking for in a back three. Or the nuclear option of bringing back Per Mertzsacker, but with so little game time, yeah. I think that's probably not going to be not going to be plausible. Yeah, not even a game for the under-23s or anything, which is, a bit, um, which is a bit of a surprise. You know, he could have had a run out at some point, couldn't he, in one of those yeah, games? Yeah, it's really odd. Mm. We've spoken about this, I think, before, but he, he was a bit unlucky with the FA Cup games because they didn't want to play him on the the, the fake pitch um, away at the non, away at Sutton and then in the in the home game against Lincoln we had just come off a really uh, was it the Bayern game and they wanted to kind of instill a bit more confidence back in the first team so they all played but yeah yeah I'm surprised it's almost like this season's been written off for Mertesacker yeah seems like it all right seems like it um, have you got any uh, got, got uh, another question yeah well, I mean, we've kind of touched on this already, but actually it's, it's from someone, it's from Richard Pike again. He's, he's on form today at Spiffle Spaffle on Twitter. Uh, he says, what players do you think will benefit the most or, and least from the system we played last night? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, it's, again, it's hard to say. You looked at someone like Oxley chamberlain who looked really at home in that right wing-back role, didn't he? Um yeah, particularly having been booked early on, I feared for him at that point. Yes, yes, I really felt like um, Anthony Taylor was was warming up his his red card there, the inevitable red card that he issues to an Arsenal player. Um, I mean, Oxide Chamberlain is one, but then you've got to ask: is you know where does Hector Bellerin's future lie if Oxley Chamberlain is a beneficiary of of the um, of the back three? Um, Again, it could be Sid who comes in in the summer if he decides to sign for us. He could be someone who, who, who's who got a, a role in the team. And then you wonder, right, where does someone like Alex Iwobi fit into the team? Where does Coquelin fit into the team? Um, Theo Walcott is somebody who definitely can't play um, in one of the Alexis or Ozil positions, I don't think. He's not good enough on the ball. He doesn't want the ball enough to be in that in those areas of the pitch. And he's definitely not a right wing back. There's no way you could play Theo Walcott as a right wing back. I don't think. So he could be yeah. one of the he could be one of the big losers, as he's said that he doesn't want to play as a striker. So certainly Walcott is somebody who who um who would have difficulties, I think. Yeah, I think he would stand to to lose out. I think Alex Wobey might find it a little bit more difficult to get game time, although he does have the technical ability to operate in those roles behind the striker. Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, maybe in the longer term, Nacho Monreal is someone who would lose out because he just. I'm not necessarily sure that that wing back role is particularly suited to his game, as we've said earlier. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, Aaron Ramsey's such an interesting one, you know. 
can you accommodate him in that midfield too? Does he offer you enough security and enough protection? It's something that we've faced again and again and again with him, but I still think that if we were to stick with this system, is a debate that would rear its head again. Mm. And I mean, what did you think of, of winners, what did you think of Ramsey and and Xhaka last night? Um, I thought it was all right. I didn't. I, to be honest, I didn't have a massive feeling one way or the other about right. it. Did you? Did you? No, see not signs really. Of promise. I thought it was okay. I mean, I think they've been yeah. relatively compatible every time we've seen them this season. Um, we were all convinced that was going to be the partnership, weren't yeah. we? I mean, in pre-season last year, that seemed to be the way it was going to go, and it's just never quite materialised on a consistent basis. One player who I think would benefit from this system actually is Mustafi. I think when I look at Mustafi, I think he'd be much more comfortable. Kind of bear in mind he's played a lot of football at fullback as well. On the, on the right side of a back three, yeah, I think that's probably a better position for him than than in than in a two. I think. I think we'd see the best of him. I think he'd be able to bring the ball out. I think he'd be able to step forward as he likes without leaving as much aching gap in behind. So I think he's someone who could actually gain quite a lot. And if he is fit, I would definitely be looking to bring him back in somewhere ahead of mm. Sunday. Uh, Tony Kent at 2-0 down wants to know, Giroud seemed incredibly frustrated at times last night. Any chance he might push for a move in the summer? Yeah, I mean, he's another one who uh, it would be interesting to see how how he fared in that system over time. I did think with Oxlade Chamberlain getting to the byline, you know, maybe we could get some decent service in the in the box towards him. Um, might will he push for a move? Maybe. I mean, he only signed a new deal this year. Yeah. So I, I'd be a little bit surprised if he was pushing for a move. Uh, but I think he's I think he's been quite frustrated probably by playing second fiddle to Danny Welbeck. Uh, he probably feels that that's unwarranted given his tremendous goal record this season. But mm. Now, I, I think Giroud will still be here next year, especially having signed that new contract. I think he'll be at Arsenal for for another couple of years, probably. What about you? Uh, you know, it actually wouldn't surprise me too much if we decided to cash in on Giroud this summer. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't quite understand the new deal because I think he still had 12 months left to run on his current contract and given his age and given his diminishing role in the team this season it felt to me like maybe the summer would be a good time to make a decision about what we were going to do with him or what he was going to do but of mm. course they signed this new deal in in January, I think um, him and Coquelin and uh, Koscielny, yeah, you know, so... Was it Koscielny? Yeah, it was Koscielny, yeah. yeah. So I, I I thought it was a bit strange. Um, and he, ha- he has looked He's a bit... He's 31 in yeah. September. I mean, it's not ancient or anything like that, but certainly... Uh, and I, you know, he's a player that I like and who is effective. Certainly, as a guy who who comes in off the bench, he can score goals from the bench. He does give you that that different option, a sort of Plan B, the target man um, player that you might need at certain points in games. So it is, you know, keeping him around. I understand as well, but I, I was a bit surprised that a decision was made quite as early as it was in terms of in terms of uh, giving him a new deal. Um, and if he feels like he's not going to play as much at Arsenal, then then he might want to go. But of course, there are the futures of other forward players are up in the air as well. And maybe the club needed to keep uh, have some stability, whether or not Giroud is one of the long-term plans. If you lose Alexis Sanchez this summer, for example, you can't necessarily lose Alexis and Giroud uh, in the same summer unless you're going to go out and spend big, big, big uh, on another striker. So he gives you that bit of insurance. But I guess it depends on what happens with Alexis and, and what Giroud himself wants to do. That's it. I mean, if the player's worried about protecting his international place, if he thinks he's not getting enough games, then he, he might look to force a move. I, I think for us, he'd be very difficult to replace just simply in terms of offering that plan B and being someone who is so effective uh, off the substitutes bench I I would definitely like to keep him around I don't think I'd want him to be the starting striker next season Mm. but uh, I'd like to see him part of the squad if it's a role he's prepared to accept I mean to his credit 
you know, having been out of the teams for long spells this season, he, he his attitude has been good, and he's not really been one to to mouth off or criticise the manager. And yeah, uh, you've got to be impressed by that. Really, he's just come off the bench, scored goals, and and done his job. Yeah, yeah. All right. Have you got uh, Have you got one more? Let me have a look. If I do, it's a little jingle there. For the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, okay, let's have this one. This is from Magnus Holmberg. And he says, it's not a cheerful one to end on, I'm afraid, but he says, for what price would you let Alexis go to a Premier League rival? Um, yeah, what price would I let him go? I don't know, uh, 80 million? Fuck it, if someone wanted to pay 80 million for him. I prefer he didn't go to a Premier League rival, obviously. And I think the club are in a position where they can ensure that doesn't happen this summer, at least. You know, we can't control where he goes if he stays for his final season and his contract expires. There's nothing much we can do about that. Um, But we can control what happens to him this summer because we can refuse to sell him to Chelsea or to Manchester City if they're really interested in him. Um, there were stories over the weekend in L'Equipe that PSG were making uh, Alexis their number one target for the summer, that they feel like the relationship the owners have with Arsene Wenger, who they know very well, might be an advantage for them to be able to take him uh, to Paris because we won't sell him to a Premier League rival. But again, there's just so much up in the air. You just you just don't know what's going to happen. But uh yeah, I don't know. Fuck it, a hundred million. Give us a hundred million. You can do what you like with him, I guess. What about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think yeah, I'd be looking to, for a Premier League. Well, I'd be looking for 70, 80 million quid. I, I don't necessarily think it'd be possible to extract that much. I hope Arsenal can play Arsenal. hardball. Arsenal. I was, I was about to say Arsenal. I changed it to Arsenal at the last minute. Arsenal. Seamless. I hope Seamless. they can play. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, without co- it passed without comment. I I hope that we can play hardball um, to an extent with him. And you know, if if PSG are interested and he is going to go, that's the deal for us to do, right? I mean, they've mm. got plenty of money. Uh, make sure that he doesn't go to a direct rival. Um, I mean, if he and Urzel are insistent that they're off, I would you know send Arsene and Ivan over to Paris to hammer out something now and see how much we can get for them you know well, because I I don't want to see those players turning up elsewhere in the Premier League it'll be yeah, it'll be painful for me on many many levels many levels well I too hope Arsenal can play hardball with Mesut Ozil yeah. <laughs> um, and Alexis okay we're gonna we're gonna have one more because it, uh, it, it feels like a Mallorca is waking up around you James there are people there it now is. it's coming to life are people looking at the you funny by the tally. way are they looking at you funny are they going why is that guy talking I mean, to his laptop no funnier than usual to be honest with okay you. well that's a shame that's uh, a shame so I think yeah I know <laughs> <laughs> um, I think these two questions could be uh, related uh, first up Cod Chops asks what painful thing would you be prepared to have happen to you if it meant that Spurs didn't win the league while James mm. Masdorp says Phil Collins music or Spurs winning the title <laughs> um, painful thing I don't know. Maybe having my legs broken because <laughs> <laughs> because I've always thought that people always say, would you like to be a bit taller? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be a bit taller, sure. But if you get your legs broken, I think sometimes you do get taller, right? When what? the bones refuse. What? I think that's the thing. What are you talking about? I'm not, not in, obviously, instantly in the moment, you're, you get shorter because your legs fold in upon themselves. But I think when they heal... Sometimes there's an extra inch or something. Isn't that what happened to Abu Dhabi? That his legs got all long or something like that? I think what happened was one of them was so badly damaged um, that it, it got shorter. It sort of contracted because of the, the the appalling injury that he suffered. I think it, it sort of shortened his leg out. Um, you know, right. ligaments and tendons and all those kind of things. What if, if I've just I don't want to make light of Abu Dhabi's situation, but I've just Googled if you break your legs, do you get taller? When Abu Dhabi signed for Arsenal, he was five foot six. But over time. Now, I have found an article on stuffyoushouldknow.com, which I imagine to be a real authority on this subject. They do a good podcast, actually. Stuff You Should Know. There's a good podcast. There you go. go. Well, I, I. 
they explain that in China, <laughs> leg lengthening surgery does exist, and it's the surgery is is breaking the legs and prying them apart, and then you add insert a metal of discs into the newly opened gap. Mm. So. I would kill two birds with one stone. I would prevent Spurs winning the league and gain an extra inch in height by having my legs broken in in a fashion of the listeners choosing, whatever, however they so decide it. Right. Well, that that is fascinating. I mean, I was thinking maybe you could get taller. You could take advantage of the fact that your legs are broken by getting in the super vet. You know, super vet guy. He's great. He he. No, who's the super vet? You don't know who super vet is. His uh, name His name is Noel Fitzpatrick and he's the super vet and he you know if you've got an animal if you've got a dog and they say look your dog's been run over there's nothing we can do we're going to have to amputate his leg he'll say hang on yeah. a minute there I can take that dog and I will make him a bionic dog and he literally gives dogs prosthesis prostheses you know like um oh my word. Yeah, they're, that's a difficult word. Um, but, you know, uh, he can add on stuff to their legs or he can do hip replacements and joint replacements. And he, he he's always getting dogs that need uh, screws and surgery and plates and all those kind of things. So what you could do is have your legs broken. We could take you to the super vet, which is just down there in Surrey. It's not far away from you when you get back from Mallorca. We could take you down there and he could put in these special implants into your shins. Now, here's the question. Would you get your thighs lengthened or your shins lengthened? Just really long shins. <laughs> really long shins. Really long shins. You would need yeah, massive... So I look like I'm on stilts. Mm, you'd need massive shin pads every time you played football, though. That's the thing. You'd have to get cardboard boxes and, and tie them. But I... Yeah. Against the trend, they wear tiny shin pads now, don't they? They do, yeah. Little eeny meeny. They're like the mini mobile phones you used to get. Remember they, when they decided they'd make mobile phones as small as they could possibly make them? These tiny little things and, that would barely fit in your yeah. hand. But, I, you know, that could be the thing. So we get your legs broken. We take you to the super vet. He designs a custom implant for you to give you extraordinarily long shins. I think, James, an, an inch is pointless. I mean, why go through all that pain for an extra inch? We want to add about a foot and a half onto you. I agree. Because I no, agree. You know, you you wouldn't have this opportunity very often in your life. So like let's go all in, break your legs, make you what the height are you in? You're about six foot one, six foot two? So, yeah, something like that. So let's put another what, I don't know, another foot and a half or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Let's make you seven foot se- seven foot seven. I think that would be good. <laughs> And okay, and then uh, it would be amazing. I think that, uh, in conjunction with Tottenham Ooh, not winning the league, would be one of the most amazing things ever to have happened in humanity. I think it would. I mean, imagine the looks I'd be get if I was doing these podcasts with two foot shins. I mean, <laughs> it'd be, imagine me in shorts with just those big shins sticking out. It'd be amazing. It would be incredible. I have no doubt now that one of our uh, Photoshop-friendly listeners is going to is gonna make that happen for us so we can see just how incredible it would be. Oh, man, I'm excited. So. Between if this- the super vet is listening, yeah. then I'm up for it. Let's do it. Come on, super vet, Noel. I'll go and... I'll- I'll go and do some dangerous water sports or something today or rock climbing and I'll do the first part of the process myself. (laughs) That would show your absolute commitment. Oh, man, between the back three and this, I'm now really excited about the rest of our season and the future (laughs) of this uh, this great football club. Well, James, we are going to leave it there and uh, let you enjoy the final day of your holiday. Yes, I'm home tomorrow, indeed. All right. Well, look, have a have a splendid time. Eat lots of uh, ham. Eat lots of ham on ruffles, and eat lots of ham on ruffles mm-hmm. as well. And uh, we'll we'll catch you next week. We'll do. Thanks very much, guys. Bye bye.